This morning we're continuing with Jesus' fifth I am saying. Remember, there are seven I am sayings in the Gospel of John. These seven are followed by a predicate. Remember what a predicate is. I'll just give you an example. I am old, ugly, a pastor, a ding-ding, whatever it is. I am, and then the predicate identifies what it is that you're emphasizing about yourself. So when I say I am, this is not a statement of wishful thinking. It's not what I hope to be or someone wants me to be. When I say or when any of us use the English language properly, when we say I am, we are making a definite statement about my, our intrinsic identity. This is a word or a sentence or an explanation of who I am as a person. Do we get that right? I mean, that's how you're supposed to use the language, Mary. That's what we're supposed to do with these I am verbs. Now, this is not the English class anymore. I used to teach this. We won't go into detail, but that's how it is supposed to be. So when Jesus says, I am, and then he follows it with a predicate, he is making a self-revelatory statement of his intrinsic nature as the Son of God incarnate as a man. When Jesus says, I am the bread, I am the light, I am the door, I am the shepherd, good shepherd, and today I am the resurrection of the life. He is speaking as a man who is identifying himself as having the very nature of the Son of God in him. Do we get that? He's not talking necessarily or intrinsically about his humanity. Because as a man, apart from the Holy Spirit living in him and enlivening in him the very person of the Son of God himself, Jesus cannot say any of this. If he's not the incarnate Son of God, he cannot say truthfully any of these things. So in all of these I am statements, he is making the most bold proclamation that a person can make. I, as a man, I have a dual nature. Remember, dual means how many? Two. I have the nature of the Son of God, and I have the nature of a man. These two natures are separate in me, yet work in such a way that it seems as if I only have one nature, but I have two, you see. So there's no intermingling of the natures. 
And so today, we're continuing, I am the resurrection of the life. You remember last week we talked about, he makes this statement in relation to the death of Lazarus. And he tells Lazarus' sister, you have hope. I'm here. She says, I know my brother will live, what, on the last day when the dead are raised. He said, I am the resurrection of life. And when he says, I am the resurrection and the life, he is not talking so specifically about an event, but he's talking about when he gathers, I am the resurrection and the life, when he gathers these two understandings, he is gathering into this statement the entire salvation plan of God for his people. So see this, I am the resurrection and, and life. See that as more than just, he says two things, Flo. He is giving us in a cryptic form the entire way that God saves his people. Amen? That's what this is. This is an enormous statement. All the other statements have said something about the ministry, the person of who he is, the son of God. But today, he is explaining to his, his people how God saves us. Why are we here? How did we get here? We have two ladies, Betty and Linda, from Alpha. Well, what was that all about? Everything we do as members of the body of Christ, as believers in Jesus, as those who are saved, as those who have been born again, everything we do, we are the walking identification and manifestation and proof that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. How are they going to know it? Joe, when they look at you, you should be living in such a way that this is a clear proof that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. So let's go through some of this. First, I want to talk about the second part of the statement. I am the resurrection and the life. So let's first talk about Jesus says, I am the life. By the way, did you notice this? Why just didn't Jesus say, I'm the resurrection? I mean, Celeste, for us, that may have been enough, right? He's the resurrection. But it isn't enough, is it? Because he gathers into this the enormous understanding that we are all under the sentence of death. Not only physical death, but more importantly, spiritual death. And that Jesus has come as the one who has life in himself because he is the incarnate son of life, the son of God to save us through his own death and his own rising again. And so you see, when he uses Lazarus' death as an example, he is saying, let me show you something. All humanity is like Lazarus in relation to their fellowship or relationship with God. All humanity is in the grave when it comes to spiritual life. Correct? Do we get that? We're not talking about how you live and what you're going to do and what do you hope to do and whether you're a good person or not a good person or whether you anything. 
We're talking about our intrinsic identity as people born into the world. We are born into a spiritual grave. And so he shows this. I have come to take my people out of the grave and bring them to new life. Amen? That's what this is all about. The event of Lazarus is a very clear illustration of death becoming life again because of this man and in and by this man. So I've kind of told you everything we're going to talk about. And a lot of what we're going to say today is going to be reviewed, but you just have to bear with me. When Jesus says, and by the way, the notes are not going to follow exactly. I've made some changes, but that's how it is. When Jesus says, I am the life, notice he says the life. He just doesn't say, hey, I'm life. I'm a life. He is what? The life. The word the is a what? What kind of an article? A definite article. Remember that A and the? It specifies some kind of quality, a particular type of life. What is he saying? He is saying that he himself. Now, now grasp this. Because as believers, we talk about this all the time and we just flows right past us. You're in the audience listening to Jesus speak. Now, you have seen great miracles, but you still are looking at a human being. You're looking at a guy, a man. And here this man says, I am the resurrection and the life. That has to be one of the most astounding statements any of these people ever heard. I, I can't imagine if they heard it with any sense of understanding that they weren't oh, kind of like back away a little bit, catch your breath. Here's a man who actually says, I am the incarnation of the very life of God himself. That's what he's saying here. When you see me, you are seeing in a man what the life of God looks like and how it acts, the qualities, the character, the purpose, the, the way God works. You're looking at me, and when you're looking at me, you're seeing this. You're seeing God in a way that no one can see and understand God. That's a statement and a half. But he's not only saying that he is the incarnation of the Son of God, of God himself. But he's also explaining that he has, why he's come into the world. Why has he come into the world? Remember what he says in John 10, 10? Why has Jesus come into the world? What is John 10? It may be in your notes. I have come that they, who is they? They are God's people that they may have life. Well, what are you talking about, Darlene? I'm not dead. I'm alive. He's talking to living people, but he says that you may have life. So obviously, Renee, he's not talking about mere physical life, is he? He's talking about spiritual life because each one of us is a spiritual being enwrapped in a physical body. 
I've come that you may have life. And whose life in particular is he talking about that we may have? His own life. Now, why must we be given life? Why? You remember what happened in Genesis when Adam sinned? What happened? How did God see Adam's sin? Adam and Eve, the first representative couple. Where were we when Adam was created? We were positionally where? Well, let's ask it this way. Before any of us were born, where were we positionally? Where were you physically? Where were you? You were in the loins of your daddy. Do we, you understand that? Did you get that? We came from our daddies and our mamas. Where were your mama and daddy before they were born? And their mama and daddy. And going back, going back, going back. So the Bible presents us in such a way that all of humanity was in Adam. And Adam represented and stood for all humanity. So that when Adam sinned, what happened to us? His sin became our sin. Well, that's not right. His sin became our sin. How many of us have inherited anything from our parents? Come on. Have any of you inherited anything from your parents? Is that right or wrong? It's the way life is. It's the way God has constituted. So we were there positionally in Adam. Now, that's important because, you see, the whole basis of our salvation is not on what we do. It's our position as a result of what Christ has done. When Adam sinned, all humanity came under the penalty of sin. Remember 1 Corinthians 15, 22. In Adam, all died. Why? Because all have sinned. So therefore, in order for us to have Jesus' life, what has to happen? In order for us to have Jesus' life, the sentence of death that is upon each one of us as a function of us being human beings, that sentence of death must be what? Reversed. It has to be reversed. It's not a matter of just God seeing you're good and I want to have you here and whatever. It's God declaring that sin has brought death into the world and we all sin positionally in Adam. And as a result of that, in order for his people to dwell with God forever and to participate in the fellowship between the, among the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we must be given his life. And in order for that to happen, the sentence of death that is upon each one of us has to be reversed. So why is that necessary? When Adam sinned, how many of you would agree with this statement? Now, be careful. Anytime I ask you that, I might be asking you something you should agree with or you should not agree with. When Adam sinned, God's purpose for creating Adam and Eve was destroyed. 
You remember, we were created in the image of God. Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Remember Genesis 126? Do you remember that? So he creates Adam and Eve as those two people who represent all humanity to be in his image, to be manifesting his life, to be manifesting his glory. So in Genesis 3, we see Adam's sins. So they nullify or destroy or rebel against, whatever word you want to say, against God's purpose. So here's my question. Does God have to make a decision of what to do? Whether or not to continue with Adam and Eve. Does he have to make a decision? No. Well, the decision was made when God created the world. You see? And I understand how this works. People say, well, if Jesus had not died then, and Paul does that in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 15, but he's just doing as an argument thing because Paul well knows that if Jesus had not died to save us from our sin, we would never have been created. Do you understand that? Why? Because you see, what God purposes to do, he will always do it. So Adam sins. Well, God could have just destroyed them and started all over again. Who knows? Who would know? Who would know? Shane, who would know if God, God would know? You see, God cannot act in discordance with his own character and will. He has a purpose. I am creating a people for my glory. That is what I'm doing, and that is what is going to happen. Why am I emphasizing this? Because too often, too many believers are too much in tune with the way I act and what I say and my faults and my failures, even as a believer. And we begin to worry, will I make it through? God's purpose for saving me will be accomplished. Do we understand that? He's going to do what he wants to do according to his nature. Therefore, if, we have, if we're going to have Jesus' life, Jesus must give. Did you see that? Jesus must give his life as a ransom. Jesus has to come. Jesus has to die. Jesus has to be buried. And Jesus has to rise again. Because God in the beginning in Genesis 1-1, when he created, God bound himself to keep his own purpose. Because God is not a liar. And what he says he will do, will he do it? He will do it. See, this is the basis of our security. The basis of my security in Christ is not based in me and anything about me. It's based in the eternal counsel and decrees of God. So Jesus must give us life. Why? Because in Jesus' death, 
God will credit Jesus' death as our own death. Why? Because we were in him. When Jesus died on the cross, where were we? Where were we? Where did God see us when Jesus died on the cross? He saw us where? In Christ. How do I know that? Where's the scripture for that? Is it in your notes? Do you have a scripture there related to it? Listen to me. When Jesus died on the cross, positionally, remember we were in Adam when he died positionally. Now, God places us spiritually or positionally, if you would, in his own purpose in Christ. So when Jesus dies, Adam's nature in us, that death nature, that death sentence, dies with Jesus in his death. Do you hear it? How do I know that? Where's the scripture that proves that? Galatians what? 2.20. Listen, you just have to know certain scriptures. What does Galatians 2.20 say when Paul says this? He says, I have been. What tense is that? How many of you remember your grammar? Past, present, and future in English is different than all these other languages. So I have been what? Where does that? Past, present, or future. What is that? past. I have been. It's finished. It's over. It happened. I have been crucified. Now watch that little preposition. With Christ. It is no longer I who live. Well, Paul, you are living. We're talking about, Paul's talking about his sinful nature. It is no longer I as constituted in Adam. It is no longer my old nature that is a nature of sin because I inherited Adam's nature. Just like I inherited my daddy's this or that or my mama's whatever. I inherited Adam's nature. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I. I as to do what? I as it relates to Adam's nature sinful nature and the sentence of death as a consequence i have been crucified with christ it is no longer i who live but what christ lives within me and the life that i now live i live by faith in the son of god who loved me you need to know you need to know this scripture you see if this were a class in in class you'd have a test on this I'd give you a test next week, a pop test. I used to give a lot of pop tests. Why? Because it's important for you to know this. Now, because we were in Christ, that means this. Colossians 127, I think it's 127, says this. Christ in you, the hope of glory. You know, it's not wrong when... Sometimes preachers emphasize who I am in Christ. We've heard that, huh? My position, who I am in Christ. And they give a long sermon of all the benefits I have in Christ. Well, I don't like that as the emphasis. 
because who I am in Christ is secondary. What's primary? Who he is in me. Because who he is in me causes me to be in him. Do we see that? Now, the next time a preacher says who I am in Christ and how I'm born, don't get up and rebuke him. But what's happening is we're emphasizing the secondary. It's important to do that, but only on the basis of the primary. I am in Christ. Why am I in Christ? Because Christ is in me, the hope of glory. Why are you here today? Are you saved? Anybody saved in here? Why are we saved? Well, I'm saved because I had faith. No, no, no. I'm saved because I asked Jesus. No. I'm saved because I was water baptized. No. I'm saved because I've done the best I can. No. I'm saved because I was Baptist, Catholic, whatever. No. My salvation is the unilateral. Do you know what that word means? By itself. The unilateral work of God. In having a people of his own choosing before the foundation of the world. A people in whom and with whom he will dwell by the spirit because of the death and resurrection of his son. He knew all of this. This was already eternally in the plan of God. It didn't happen when Adam sinned and all of a sudden God's trying to shuffle around figuring out what's going to happen here. In history, in time, when did God declare us as saved or forgiven? When? In a time frame. Remember, this is before the foundation of the world. And God then begins to commit it or create it or cause it to come into reality in a time frame. You know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. You understand what I mean by time frame. So, Chris, when in a time frame were you saved? Renee, when were you saved in a time frame? Todd, when were you saved? When were we saved? We were saved positionally before the foundation were in the purpose of God. But when did he bring it to fruition in my life? When could, would God say, what I have purposed before eternity, I have now made real in time? When? At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my what? Burden of my what? I don't remember. Sin rolled away. When were you saved? You see, let's, Charles, let's break the pattern of thinking I was saved when I said yes to Jesus. Honey, child, that's not when you saved. That's when you came to grasp or embrace what God did at the cross according to his eternal counsel. Can anybody say amen? God knew how nasty you would be. God knew how many filthy thoughts you would have. 
before you were saved and even after you were saved. God knew how much of a snake you would be. How jealous, how envious, how hating, how unforgiving you and I would be, Mike, before you were saved and even after you were saved. God knew it, Gwendolyn. I mean, uh, Carolyn. Close. I got the end right. Listen, look, let's get it in our minds today. God knew this. Pharaoh, did he know you before you were born? How much did he know you? The whole blinking lot. <sighs> Boy, what a mess you are. Man, Linda, he knew everything. Everything. Betty, everything. Everything. Why did he save you? Because in the mystery of God, and Steve, we don't know more than this. He created, he purposed to create us a people of his love. Remember Deuteronomy 7, he tells Israel, why did I save you? Why are you my people? Because I love you. And why do I love you? Because I love you. Well, what does that mean? If someone, how many of you ever thought this? Why does God love me? Come on, come on. You can ask that. Why? Because he loves you. There's no reason in us or about us. It has to do with the unsearchable riches of Christ. Romans 11.33. If you want to know the answer, read Romans 11.33, and Paul will tell you everything you need to know about it. When was I saved? When did I receive resurrection power? When did I actually begin to experience the resurrection of Jesus? When? When did I am the resurrection of life become real to me personally? When, Eddie? Jesus made it not only possible. I was going to say possible, and someone hopefully would have rebuked me. Jesus made it certain. You see, Jesus did not die to make eternal life available. Because if it's available, you may or may not, what? Accept it. Jesus is not waiting for people to receive him. Behold, I stand at the door and what? Knock. Remember Revelation 3, Laodicea? And if any man or any person, what? Hear my voice and do what? Open, I will come in and what? Sup or fellowship with him and he with me. Ah, you see, you have to make a decision to open the door to be saved. Nope. Jesus is not talking to the unsaved there. He's talking to his church, Laodicea. He's talking to those who are already saved, Ron. And he's saying, Ron, as a man in whom I dwell and you dwell in me and we are now relationally one, there are going to come times, brother, when you're not going to be fellowshipping with me the way you should. And I want you to. So I'm calling you. I want you to fellowship with me. Come on, Ron. I want you to do it. The Holy Spirit begins to realize, cause you to realize, what am I doing here? 
Do we understand that? Our salvation is not the result of my choice. Our salvation is the eternal result of God's choice before ever creating us. Even before Genesis 1-1, God had it all put together in his heart and mind. Do we believe that? Jesus made it real in time at the cross when he said those three great words in John 19, verse 20. It is finished. What does it mean? It's paid for. What's paid for? Our salvation. It's bought and paid for. And when do I experience the reality that Jesus is the resurrection and the life? Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27. Let's put the word together. When do I experience that? Purple, when do I experience that? When Jesus said to Nicodemus in John 3, 3, you must be born again. If you're going to see life, if you're going to have the life of the Son of God, I must give it to you. And the reason I give it to you is not because you ask for it. The reason I give it to you is because it was my Father's will that you should have it. That will before the foundation of the world. And I am now obeying my Father's will by going to the cross, dying, being buried, and rising again in order that you may have my life. You see, Jesus is the resurrection and the life because... In him, we rise when he rose from the dead. Do we see that? When were you saved? Please don't answer when I ask Jesus to come into my heart, because that's just not true. You didn't ask Jesus to come into your heart. He gave you his heart. Come on, come on, come on. And when he gave you this gift, do you see, it doesn't say he offered it to you. Because, see, creature, if you offer your children a gift, they may not. But when you give it to them, you give it to them knowing what? That they're going to take it. Correct? They're going to take it. And so God does a work in our hearts by the Spirit to take out our stony, dead heart that would always reject him and say no to him. I don't want anything to do with you. I want the God of my own making, the God that the world calls God, you see. He loves everybody. And he changes our heart. He changes it by the Spirit into the very heart and disposition and will of the Lord Jesus himself. He plants in my heart the very will of Jesus himself. And when he does that, he gives me the ability, you the ability, not to make a choice, but to receive. I receive him. 
in that context of choice, I'm saying choice, saying yes or no, yes or no. It's not that. We receive him. So how many of you received Jesus because you wanted to receive him? Come on, raise your hand. Only about five of you received Jesus because you wanted to? How many of you received Jesus because you wanted to? Come on, raise your hand. You wanted to. But why did you want to? Because God put in you Jesus' own wanting you to be his own, and he gave you that, and therefore you responded. Do you see it? We're here because we want to be saved, and we wanted to, and we received Jesus. But the question is, why did you want to, Joseph? Because God gave you the wanting, brother. Do you remember that day, that moment? When you heard the gospel and something happened on the inside, come on, do you remember that? And you said, I have to do this. I have. How many of you can say that? I, I have to. I want this. I have to. You see, we interpret it from the human perspective. I'm calling on Jesus. No. I'm responding to him, calling me to himself. When was it bought and paid for? Anna Maria, at the cross. When were you saved? In a time frame at the cross. Before eternity, eternity's purpose being applied. Now, when did you receive Jesus? When you were born again a week ago, yesterday, two years, ten years ago, correct? That's when you receive this gift of eternal life that God gives us in Christ. Jesus says, I am the resurrection. I am the one in whom when I am raised, you are raised with me. So that my resurrection life is now your resurrection life. I have and you have in you the very resurrected life of the Son of God applied to me, given to me by the Holy Spirit. Why do I have it? Because he gave it to me, and I received it. He does not give, the Father does not give the Son to those who do not receive him. That ain't happening. He gives it to those who will receive him. Because he has given them the very heart of the Lord Jesus himself. I am the resurrection and I am the life. Next week, let's talk about the example or illustration. I think in your notes I have illusion. I should have put illusion, I-L-L. Let's talk about the resurrection being intimated, foreshadowed in the Old Testament. Thank you for being here.